Welcome to the Demand Generation Show, Episode 6. Today, I'm going to be talking about how to get the sales process off to a strong start and how to penetrate virtually any account. Let's get started. Welcome to episode six of the Demand Generation Show. Got to tell you, I'm really excited just from the response that we're seeing on the first five episodes. We are already ahead of our expectations, so it's a really great to see that this program seems to be resonating, albeit uh, still very early. Today, we've got a special podcast. We're actually going outside of our editorial plan, so we hadn't even planned this podcast, so we're going to push a couple of the other podcasts to a little bit later. Two days ago, I posted on the Demand Creator blog a post that really got some very interesting traction, and I've heard quite a bit of feedback since I posted it uh, via email and other conversations. The post was on the six stupidest things a salesperson can say at the beginning of a sale. And what I got back from a lot of people was, well, A, what I said made a lot of sense, But if those are the stupid things to do, what's the right way to do something? What's the right way to get a sale off to the right start? How can you make sure you're talking to the people that you want to be talking to? So I figured since I've gotten so much response from that blog post, I'd go ahead and I'd make a podcast on it and share how we go about and how we recommend and coach our clients on getting that account entry. So that's the focus of today's show. Just as a reminder, uh, you can get the show notes and see a little bit of what I'm talking about at www.imaginellc.com slash podcast. I've been involved in literally every aspect of sales, and I can say unequivocally that the single toughest thing and probably the most valued part of the sales process is being able to enter an account from a position of strength, and to get the conversation off to a strong start. You literally can't spend enough time putting together your strategy, working on your skills, developing your capabilities for effective account entry. So let's talk a little bit today about how you can more effectively enter accounts um, more quickly, how you can get to the right person how you can manage things if maybe the conversation isn't starting off with the right person and how to deal with that first part of the sale so that you're setting the stage and building a foundation for everything else that's going to come after that. As you develop your account entry strategies, realize that at its basic premise, there's three different scenarios where you might be working to get that sale started And each scenario requires a slightly different approach. The first scenario is you're responding to an inbound lead. Uh, Somebody has reached out to you. Somebody has downloaded something. Uh, Your inbound marketing and lead generation strategies have worked. And now it's time to make that first contact or maybe the second contact and really get a sale off to a strong start. The second scenario is a targeted outbound campaign. Uh, Now, this is a fairly high volume campaign. This is... Uh, traditional outbound sales development where you're working a universe of opportunities 
you're not spending too much time in terms of determining who's on that list or who you're pursuing or not. Uh, but of course, as I'll get to in a minute, you're going to spend some time. So that's that general outbound prospecting. And the third scenario is what I refer to as strategic prospecting. At its extreme, you might be hearing a term called account-based marketing. Uh, account-based marketing is a subset of strategic prospecting. But basically, strategic prospecting is where you're going to be going after opportunities, accounts that are larger than your typical relationship, the types that can really have an impact on your year. So they're not just the average accounts, but they're the accounts that really drive you forward. Uh, and they require a lot more focus, a lot more attention, um, and really they take a multidimensional approach. So those are the three scenarios that you're going to be dealing with and you want to make sure you've got a good strategy for each one again responding to an inbound lead targeted outbound prospecting and strategic prospecting i'm going to address each one of them individually but first let me address what they all have in common if you are waiting to make contact with that lead to learn about that lead you've lost you're not going to enter the account effectively if you have to ask the question, tell me about your company, what do you need, where does it hurt, what keeps you up at night, just hang up the phone and go find another job. I, I realize that sounds kind of extreme, that sounds kind of harsh, but it's the truth. You can't wait to talk to them to know them. So if you're not talking to them, how do you know them? Well, it's why buyer personas are so important. For those of you listening to this podcast, listen to what Mike Weinberg and Tris Bertuzzi, both sales experts, had to say about buyer personas and marketing's job to educate and bring that intelligence to the sales side so that we know who we're talking to and what makes them tick before we have our first conversation with them. The second thing, the second component to, to being able to know them before you talk to them is make sure you've spent the time to develop a strong messaging blueprint. Be clear. What are the problems that you solve? And, and, and please don't make the problem that you solve just an excuse for a we do. What is the real problem that your customers have that you solve? And then segment those problems by your personas so that each persona has a representation of this is the problem set that we solve. This is how we solve the problem, and this is why we're the best choice to solve that problem. If you cannot clearly articulate those three things in a way that's going to resonate with the vast majority of people that you reach out to, then you are not ready to make that first contact. So be sure that you've got clear messaging and you have a very clear understanding by persona of what you're going to do for them. You see, before I have the first conversation, frankly, before a targeted prospect, a qualified lead touches our website, I've already spent tremendous amounts of time understanding who they are, what makes them tick, what their problems are, and that drives every aspect of our messaging that drives our entire conversion path. So when I'm getting ready to pick up the phone or one of our sales development reps picks up the phone, even if you're quote unquote just a name on the list, we already know an awful lot about you. We know what industry you're in. We know what your role is. We know what your most important problems are. And so we're able to bring messaging to you. We're able to start the conversation, not with a get to know you, but a let's educate you. 
I said this in the blog on Tuesday. If you're talking to somebody who's going to be able to help you in the sales process, if you're not teaching them something that matters to them within the first two to three minutes of a conversation, you have lost. So if you have to learn about them before you can teach them, you're just not going to have enough time to get things going. All right, let's talk now a little bit more specifically about what you do in each one of these scenarios. So inbound scenario. Frankly, it's my favorite way to deal with a lead. It's my favorite way to make contact. Because if it's an inbound lead, not only do I have research, all the work that I've talked about to get things started, but I've got actual firsthand behavior to tell me a lot about what's going on. So if it's an inbound lead, the very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take a look at what has their behavior been? What has their engagement, what has their interaction been with my company, with our website before this call starts? What did they do before they downloaded something? What did they do after they downloaded something? What did they do before and after they made a phone call? How did they respond to the emails that might be going out to them? If you've got an effective marketing automation system, you're going to have that intelligence. You're going to be able to see what their digital body language is before you make that first contact. And so I've got a picture of that. I know what their role is. I know how that role fits into the overall typical decision-making matrix, if you will, of, of the companies that I deal with. So I know, is this a primary persona? Is this a decision-maker? Or is this a secondary persona? Maybe they're a decision influencer. Maybe they're a tertiary persona. This is increasingly common with inbound leads. A tertiary persona is somebody who's not actively involved in a decision. They can't be the person who, who makes things happen for you, but they are oftentimes the, the person who downloads something. They're oftentimes the person who maybe is doing the research and putting things together. So when I make that contact, not only do I know something about them, but I also have done a little bit of research about their company. Who is in the important roles that I want to talk to? And that's why lead intelligence is so important. You know, we work with VPs of sales, VP of marketing, um, and owners of companies. Those are our three key personas. So when a salesperson downloads something and exhibits a behavior that demonstrates that there's engagement, while that salesperson is not really the person who buys from us, they are definitely a person who can tell us what's going on in their company, what's working, what's not working. And if we do things correctly, they can make a very, a very powerful introduction to their VP of sales. So when I first make contact with them, I don't want to have to ask them the question, so who's your VP of sales? I want to say, oh, that's really interesting. I'm curious. How does Mary deal with that challenge? Mary, of course, in this case, being the VP of sales here. So I already know that. I'm already able to make that connection, if you will, and demonstrate an understanding of, of the person that I'm talking to that allows me to get further and allows me to get deeper. So inbound, again, is the easiest one. It's already, you know, someone's already raised their hand. Uh, you've got that opportunity to make a strong impression if you're prepared. Okay, let's talk about the second one. The second one is targeted outbound. So, you know, this is a traditional outbound marketing program where I'm pursuing a breadth of opportunities. So here's the first place to pay attention when you're building this out. And, and the first thing to pay attention to is what's the list? 
your efforts on an outbound program are going to be limited by the quality and the effectiveness of whatever the list is that you're working to pursue. So how do you create a really good list? Well, the first thing that you have to do to create a really good list is have a really good ideal client profile. Who are you trying to attract? Who are you pursuing? Now, I would rather have 20 lists of 200 people than one list of 4,000. You see, when you're looking at a list, when you're looking at a segment, here's what you have to do to determine, is this one group or multiple groups? Do the people on this list experience the same problem in the same way? If they experience the same problem in the same way, then they're one list, they're one group. But if they experience different problems, or if they experience the same problem in different ways, then they are different groups. They require different messaging. They require different questions. You're going to appeal to them by personalizing your message to them. And so when someone says to me, okay, we've got a list of 5,000 people. We want to go after them. My first comment is, well, you're probably not going to be able to do it effectively because I doubt all 5,000 people on that list have the same things in common. So be sure that you're segmenting your list by your personas, by the problems that they have. All right, so you've got that in place. You utilize any number of tools that are out there for lead sourcing, lead origination. Do not go out and just buy some random list from some list vendor who promises you stuff. It never works. There are ways that you can do original lead sourcing. I am actually looking to get a guest on lead sourcing uh, to talk about this. If you'd like some ideas and if you want me to share some of the ways we do original lead sourcing, please just send me an email, doug at imaginellc.com. I'll be glad to share with you uh, our approach to doing that. Doing it right now would just simply take too much time. So you've got your list, you've got your messaging, you know who you're talking to. Well, you got a question to ask when you begin your outreach. Are you going to be a typical peddler who sends an email that says something along the lines of, Hi, my name's Doug. We do this, that, and the other thing. Can you please put me in touch with the person responsible for this, that, and the other thing? I would love to have a 15-minute conversation to share with you all the wonderful ways we can make your life better. I get 15, 20 emails like that a day. And, and I got to tell you, a, a piece of me dies every time I see one of those emails. There's two reasons for it. There are two reasons why it's an abject failure. First off, well, that email's all about you. It's all about the seller. It's a selfish, narcissistic email. The second problem is there's absolutely no value being created. So, so your contact needs to start from the standpoint of, hey, my name's Doug. I noticed that you're in industry X, Y, and Z. If you're like the companies that we know in X, Y, or Z, I know that you're dealing with this problem and that problem. I'd love to be able to share with you how we've helped this company or that company address that problem. Oh, by the way, we also wrote a white paper on the topic. 
So if you'd like to get our feedback on, on how to solve that problem, just click here and you can get our white paper. Or of course, if you'd like to set up a 15, 20 minute conversation where I can share with you some of our experience and, and see where or how we might be a fit to help you deal with this problem, here's how you can get a hold of me. Right. Which, which approach is going to be more interesting to you as a prospect? Which one are you more likely going to connect to? When the conversation starts, you got to ask a question. Are you closing? Or are you helping? Right. If you're closing, closing to try to sell something, by the way, don't sell anything on the first, second, or third call. When you're making that initial contact, your goal is to get deeper into the conversation, to earn the right to understand what's happening there. How do you earn the right? You teach them something. You demonstrate that the time they spend with you is worth something. So are you going to be selling or are you going to be helping? Right. If you haven't read the Challenger Sale, read the Challenger Sale. They talk about teach, tailor, take control. Are you teaching something? Are you tailoring what you're teaching to them? Is it direct? And if you're doing that, the likelihood that you're going to make a powerful connection is really strong. Now, if you're listening closely to how I talked about focusing in on that outbound, you might say, well, Doug, that sounds an awful lot like inbound marketing. And guess what it does? Because the principles are exactly the same. Right? Inbound marketing is all about create value first. Help first, sell second. Outbound marketing, same thing. We're just bringing it to you. How am I helping you? Okay, now let's talk about the problem that occurs, well, frankly, in all three places, but a lot on an outbound or an inbound um, outreach. And that is, well, you're stuck at a secondary or tertiary persona, right? You're not at the decision maker level. You know the person that you're talking to doesn't have the power or the authority to do anything. So what do you do? Here is the simplest way to get access to the right person. And that is ask questions that matter. And that means ask a question where the answer to the question clearly is going to have an impact on things that happen after that. So ask questions that matter that only the person at the level that you want to talk to can answer. So if you want to talk to a VP of sales, ask questions that a VP of sales answers. If you want to talk to the president of a company, ask the questions that only the president can answer. If you want to talk to the head of finance, same thing. You see, far too often, we're asking questions, we're having conversations that are really tactical. They're, they're geared to beneath the power level people. And then we expect to be introduced to that higher level person. It's not going to happen. So be sure that you're talking about the things and you're asking the questions in a way that, that clearly communicate to the person that you are talking to that this is worth involving that other person. Which, by the way, is one reason why if you want to be able to consistently and predictably enter accounts with strength, you've got to create content that supports what you're doing. You see, when I want to talk to a VP of sales and, and I'm talking to a salesperson or I'm, I'm talking to somebody that's lower in the organization, I've got lots of content that I can share, tools, worksheets, questionnaires that I can share that speak that VP's language. So my contact can actually introduce me first with my content so that when that primary person sees what I'm doing, they quickly realize, yes, this is somebody I want to be talking to. That's what's going to help you get through the quote-unquote gatekeeper. 
All right, let's go to our third form of prospecting. The third area is strategic prospecting. Here's how you do strategic prospecting. And by the way, listen to episode four. Mike Weinberg talks about what I call strategic prospecting. First thing, most important thing, have a defined set of companies that you know you want to do business with. See, on outbound prospecting, you want to, you want to be going after high probability targets. That list should be cleansed to the point where it is probable, it is highly probable that the companies on this list are good companies for you to work with. Strategic prospecting, who are the companies you want to do business with? And it has to be a limited number. I've rarely seen somebody who can strategically prospect more than about 20, maybe 30 accounts at any given time. Strategic prospecting is a high intensity, highly focused effort. So have that list. Who are they? What about them makes you want to do business with them? Next, what about them indicates that they should be doing business with you? Do the research on them. Learn what are they doing that says they've got a problem that you can help them with. One of the strategies that we use is I will oftentimes watch a company for a month or two before I make contact if it's a strategic company that I want to connect with. I'll actually go on their website, I'll fill out their forms, I'll watch their process. I'll take notes so that I can then reach out to them and say, hey, I've experienced X, Y, or Z, and I identified some holes here. Would you like me to share what my experience was as well as some resources that I think might be able to strengthen this that could have this type of impact for you. So again, very specific research, very targeted, beyond personalized to customized. And don't focus on one person. You should be identifying four to six people that you're going to look to make that contact with. This is where we use a tool that I call the 3 by 3 sales matrix. When I'm making entry into a strategic account especially, I'll use this in smaller accounts, but I always use it on a strategic account. I want to be able to identify three people at differing levels or differing areas, and I want to identify three issues each that we can impact. When I've got a 3 by 3 sales matrix filled out, I know I've got the business case. And so... My first boxes I fill out oftentimes before I even talk to them. If you can't fill out one of those boxes, actually, if you can't fill out two or three of those boxes, you're not ready to make the first contact. Now, if you want a copy of the 3 by 3 sales matrix, it's a very simple form. But if you go to the show notes, www.imaginellc.com slash podcast, go to episode six, you'll see a link for the tool, the 3 by 3 sales matrix. So if you can't get that going, then you know two or three, you're not ready for the first conversation. And then in my early conversations, I don't move to the cell until I've got at least seven of those boxes filled out. And when I do that, I'm in the position of helping. I'm able to get into an account because I'm talking about the issues that matter to, the vet, to them, not the issues that matter to me. And I've built that strong foundation that ensures I'm going to be able in 
the vast majority of times, I'm going to have the strength to get through the barriers and the disruptions that almost always occur in a sales process. So that's how you do it. It's really nothing complicated. It's all very, very simple things to do. Not always easy, but very simple. They require focus and some discipline. And if you follow these approaches and you keep the focus on your prospect and you're always demonstrating value, you're going to find that entering accounts, getting that sales conversation started is a lot easier than you thought it would be. Give some of these ideas a try. If you have any questions about what I said here, please feel free. Send me an email, doug at imaginellc.com. The key takeaway from this, I hope your key takeaway from this is focus, discipline, and alignment. Account entry is not only a salesperson's job. It is sales and marketing. Do we have personas clear? Have we developed the messaging? Does our website and everything else support what we're doing? Because rest assured, the moment we create any awareness for them, hell, it might even be happening while we're talking to them on the first call, they're going to look at our website. And if our website doesn't support what we're doing, we've lost everything. And I need the content to support my efforts so that I can penetrate that account effectively and get the sales process off to a strong start. Give them a try. If you have any questions, send me an email, doug at imaginellc.com. Let me know how things work. Would love to get your feedback. Would love to hear what experiences you've had or what you use to penetrate those accounts. I promise I'll share them on a future podcast and I'll even give you credit. So that's account entry. Let me know what you thought of it. Let me know, let me know what you think of the strategies. If you don't feel like sending an email, leave a comment on the show notes. Let us know what you're thinking. Stay tuned. I am about to share with you a tip on a piece of technology that we've used for a couple of years. We use it both on the marketing and the sales side. Really simple, easy tool to help keep things organized and to keep things on track. I still remember my first job in sales. The pipeline was kept on a bulletin board. Basically, what every salesperson on the team would do is they'd have an index card. They'd fill out basic information about their prospect, about the company that they were going after. And then they would put it to the appropriate stage on the bulletin board. And as the sale moved forward, you would take your index card from where it was, say from the left side of the bulletin board, and you'd move it increasingly to the right side. And when we would have a sales meeting, the sales manager would bring out that bulletin board, or we'd, we'd look at that bulletin board, and we would review the pipeline on the bulletin board. And, you know, for years, as, as simple as it was, um, in some cases as silly as it was, it was also one of the most effective ways that, that I've ever been able to see a pipeline track. You know, then CRM came out, and we started keeping track of our pipeline and our activities and things like that in these spreadsheets. And in, in our systems that would show things vertically, etc. But nothing ever really replaced that, that tactile sensation of being able to create a card, put key notes on a card, and move that card appropriately, visually seeing where things laid out. Until a few years ago, I came across a really neat tool called Trello. Trello is basically a bulletin board for your index cards, but all your index cards are virtual. You can use it 
to keep track of your pipeline, though increasingly CRMs are important to do that. And HubSpot CRM, by the way, has replicated that Trello view to be able to track your pipeline. We use Trello for a variety of things at Imagine. Editorial calendars, really difficult stuff, really complicated stuff in terms of keeping track of the ideas that we have for writing, who's going to be writing it, um, at what stage in the writing process is that blog post, or wh where's that premium content, to be able to both keep track of things, but also get a visual representation of where things stand, and frankly, to get that psychographic reward of moving something towards its completion. We all know how much fun it is to uh, put a check in the box on our to-do list or to cross something off. Well, you know, it's kind of funny when you change the status of something from um, idea to in development or in development to in review. When you change the status in just a box in a spreadsheet or a database, it's not very rewarding. But when you take that card and you drag it from the column that says in development to in review to scheduled, to published. As you begin to drag it, you get that feeling of completion, so it's a lot of fun too. Trello is a very simple to use tool, and to some degree, that's the one negative that I'll say about Trello. A lot of things we like about it, but we can't use it for, for complicated things. But when you're trying to keep track of a process where lots of volume go through and multiple people are involved, a tool like Trello uh, has really made it far easier for us to collaborate, far easier for us to keep track of information and to make sure that everything stays on track. So trek, trek out, check out Trello, T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. They've got a free version uh, that does the vast majority of what their premium versions do. If you're trying to keep track of process, I think you'll find it very valuable. So that's our show today. I hope you got a lot from it. You know, once again, check out the show notes, www.imaginellc.com slash podcast. Uh, send me an email, doug at imaginellc.com. Give me any thoughts. Give me feedback. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, if you have any ideas you want us to cover in the future, any technology you want us to check out, uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And uh, thanks for listening. Until next time.